My parents are both only children, and so uh, my brother and I were the only grand ch- uh, grandchildren on either side of the family, which at Christmas time was awesome because there was nobody else to buy for but us. My grandparents were really generous in that way, and you know, other times during the year came and they would do kind things for us, and one of the things that my grandmother always did was to go with us to do our back-to-school shopping, okay, which I'm sure my mother appreciated because that meant a little extra help buying all the clothes and getting ready for school to start and those kinds of things, but I didn't exactly enjoy that because that meant a full day of going to a department store And my grandmother was the kind of person that decided, you know, you had to try everything on because you didn't want to have to take it back. And so I remember very clearly going in and out of the dressing room and, you know, parading around and making sure everything fit. And inevitably, at least once and maybe 20 times during the day, I would hear, well, turn around, and then I would get the inevitable, that seems a little tight across the bottom. Now, when you're eight and you're already wearing a 10 Husky, those are not the words you really want to hear, okay? But I loved her. And maybe some of you can think of people in your family that you really love, but at times drive you nuts, right? We've just come through the holidays, and we've spent a lot of time with family. And and for many of us, it was great. I mean, we were so thankful that we got to have that time, and yet there were probably moments during that holiday period when you're thinking, okay, when do I get to go home? Or when are they leaving, right? As much as we love them. There are things about our families that sometimes drive us crazy. Sometimes it's because our expectations are not met exactly like we'd like them to be. You see, it's all about what we're thinking about this month, finding satisfaction. And we're thinking about the fact that sometimes it feels like we can't get satisfaction. Last week we thought about money and how we never have enough money. We always want a little bit more. So how do we find satisfaction in our families? We see them as a blessing from God, and yet there are times when we struggle a little bit because of unmet expectations. Maybe it's in marriage, when we were expecting to to spend our lives with our best friend, or we were expecting this passionate relationship, or we were expecting this lifelong love affair, and things, maybe they're good, but they're they're not what we were hoping for. Or maybe the marriage has lost a little bit of the fire that used to be there, or the closeness that was there at one time. And we're wondering, can any of that ever come back? Can we ever regain some of that? Or is it forever lost? Maybe it was never really exactly what we were hoping for, but it was the best that we could find. What do we do with that? How do we handle those unmet expectations when it seems as though we can't find satisfaction in the marriage relationship? Or maybe it has to do with our children. We love our children, and yet at times they make decisions, whether they're small or they're grown, that we don't understand and we can't control and we can't figure out, and sometimes we just don't know what to do with it. And we were, we're seeing this, you know, this family that's in the movies, right, that's always laughing and happy, and they do all this stuff together, and they're always having such a good time. And then when you take your family out to do something together, it's a disaster. And you wonder, why can't we be like them? You see, it goes back to what we talked about last week, continually comparing ourselves 
to what other people have and how that can sometimes bring dissatisfaction. Or maybe it's with your parents. Maybe they weren't ideal. Maybe you know that there are people whose parents were much more supportive, much more loving, much more caring, and you felt that for much of your life. What do we do with that? And if we're honest, maybe as we look around our family, among our siblings or cousins or extended family some way, part of what makes us dissatisfied is the fact that we're a little bit jealous of what other people have accomplished. And we don't understand why they've been able to do more or make more. And so when we're in the middle of our family, what do we feel? We feel inferior. And that's frustrating. How do we as Christians deal with that? I mean, we know that family is important. Scripture is filled with commands that talk about family. We know that it's the basic building block of a culture and a society. How do we help develop healthy families in which we find some satisfaction? Will they ever be perfect? No. But what can we do? Today I want us to turn to Philippians chapter 2. Talk a little bit about that. This passage is not directed just specifically toward families. It's really talking about more than that. It's talking about relationships in general. But I think there's some instruction that I believe will help us in this. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. What's Paul saying there? He says so often we act in terms of selfish ambition or vain conceit. What does that mean? It means there's a couple of motives that are at work that are really unhealthy. That there are times, if we're honest, we would have to admit that in our families we have exploited the relationship to get what we want. In other words, it's been all about me. It's been all about what I can get from my family, whether it's money or whether it's their encouragement or their support or a place to live or whatever it may be. Whether it's a parent relationship, spouse relationship, uh, a relationship with our children. What can I get out of the relationship? And if I'm not getting what I want, if I'm not being made to feel good, then there's something wrong here. And you see, it's easy to then go to what Paul talks about second, vain conceit. In other words, I am better than the other people in this relationship. Look at all I'm putting into this, and I'm really not getting that much out of it. I don't think my spouse is working as hard as I am on this relationship. I don't think my kids are showing me the respect that I deserve. I don't think my parents are encouraging enough, and we could go on and on and on. Selfish ambition and vain conceit, Paul shows us here, can be destructive, not can be, always are destructive in relationships. When it's about me, and I'm continually thinking about how much better I am than the other people in this family, it's going to be destructive. But he goes on from there. Don't act with a selfish ambition or vain conceit, he says, but rather in humility value others more than yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others. How does that work out? 
it means we have to acknowledge the needs of the other people in the relationship. In other words, we have to take the focus off of ourselves and put it on other people. Willard Beecher has this great illustration that he uses. He says, lots of us come to marriage sort of thinking about it as a box. And in this box are a lot of goodies that make me happy. A physical relationship, a companionship, friendship, encouragement, partnership, all these things. And I take them out. And, and every time I need something, I take something from the box. And before you know it, what happens? The box is empty. And the relationship is empty. He says, that's not the way marriage can work. Instead, we've got to come to the relationship recognizing that what we do is put things in the box that will build the relationship up. So it's up to me to bring encouragement. It's up to me to bring romance. It's up to me to bring love. It's up to me to to bring my presence into this relationship in a real way. He says, you know, romance and love are not found in marriage. They're found in people. And it's true. And whether we're talking about marriage or any other relationship, in the end, the principle's still there. The, The friendship, the love, the partnership, the encouragement, the support are found in people. And they're not ju- there just because I'm the parent. And they're not there just because I'm the son or the daughter. They're not there just because I'm the spouse. They are there because we're willing to invest in the relationship. So we have to change our thinking so that we recognize it's not just about what I can get, but it's also about what I can give to this relationship. Psalm 127, verse 3, beautiful verse, says this, Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from them. Are we recognizing our children as a gift? Do we see them as a blessing from God? You know, I can remember in the days when Leanne and I were really struggling with infertility and had just about come to the point that we thought we weren't going to have kids. And that lasted for years. And I can remember hearing other people our age, people who had kids, you know, doing the complaining that all of us do and that I've done as well now about how much of a problem their kids are and how they don't understand what they do and how it takes time and why don't my kids listen and all these things and being so angry about that and thinking, Here these people have this blessing of these children in their lives that we would give anything for, and all they can do is complain about it. What are we putting in the box? How are we investing in the relationship, in the family? What are we doing to show that we value the people in our families more than we value ourselves? And that's really hard because it's easy to put the emphasis on me. I mean, I know what I'm thinking. I know what I'm doing. I know how I'm putting into this family. And maybe it feels like other people aren't doing as much. So what's the lesson? 
The needs of others have to come first in our families. If we really want healthy family relationships, if we really want those relationships to grow, and if we want them to be healthy, lifelong, the only way that works, and it's a biblical principle right here from Philippians chapter 2, is if we are willing to put other people first. Hard to do. Really easy for me to say, and yet it's hard to do. Because we all recognize our needs. We know what's going on in our lives and in our hearts. But it's a matter of changing how we look at our spouses, changing how we look at our children and our parents. Our marriage is never going to be perfect because our spouse is not perfect and because we are not perfect. And our kids and our parents, they're not going to be perfect either. So none of these families are perfect. And we see that at work in the Bible. Show me a picture of a family in Scripture where everybody is perfect. It's not there. We see all kinds of struggles in families in Scripture. That's part of what it means to be a human being. And yet we see encouragement and teaching that I believe like this can help us. So how can we find satisfaction? By putting our family members first, seeing our family as a gift. We talked about that last week. And it's going to carry through this whole series. If we want to begin to find satisfaction in what God has given us, one of the first things that we have to do is begin to give thanks. And I challenge you to do some of that this week, to to really give thanks, to spend some time thanking God for what he's given you financially. But in terms of our family, that needs to take place as well. Where we really spend time thanking God for the person he's put in our lives to spend life together. Or the children that that relationship has produced or the parents who built into our lives. Because when we give thanks, it changes our approach to the relationship. And then we need to look for the needs that the other person has. Easy for us to focus on our own needs. Easy for us to focus on how some of those needs have not been met. And yet, what a passage like this calls us to do is to look at the needs of our spouse. I mean, when was it that you last sat down and thought, what can I do for my spouse that they really need me to do? I mean, do they need to hear that I love them more often? Do they need to to know that I'm in their corner because maybe they're not sure anymore? Do they need to know that this relationship matters? What do our kids need from us? Yeah, they need food and they need clothes and, and they need a place to live and a bed to sleep in and, and that's sort of all assumed. And yet what do they need to hear from us? And what kind of time investment do they need? Maybe you're in a situation where you have parents that you're caring for. What do they need? And it's good for us to think about all those needs, but it's also important for us to act on those needs too, right? We can think a lot and talk a lot that really do no good, but we also need to act on them, to fulfill those needs wherever we can. Put the person first. 
And it's easy for us to sit in a room like this, maybe with our spouse next to us, and sort of, are you listening? Maybe you've already done that. How do we do that to ourselves? Am I listening? Am I paying attention? Do I really care about this relationship? And have I shown it? But what do you do if your spouse is not here today? Say, wow, James, that's a good message. I really wish my husband were here to hear it. I really wish my wife were here to hear it, but he or she is not really a follower of Jesus. What, what do I do with that? Because I'd like to have a marriage that's based in Scripture, that a relationship that's founded on biblical principles, but how do you do that with someone who's not a Christian? Well, this is not easy. Paul talks about being a witness even in the marriage relationship and continuing in faith and praying and hoping that that person will someday see Jesus in you and change. I can't promise that's going to happen. I hope it will for you. I'll pray for you. I hope you'll let us know as a church what we could do to reach out to your spouse and maybe make a difference. And others in the room are saying, well, James, I hear what you're saying about valuing people in my family. And I hear what you're saying about putting other people first, and that's the only way to make the relationship work. But listen, you don't understand because I'm in the middle of an abusive relationship. And I have to say I don't understand because I've never been there. But there's no excuse for it. And there's no way to be thankful for abuse, and there's no reason that you should be. And all I can say is, you shouldn't allow it. It's easy for me to say, hard to do. But seek help. Talk to some of us here at the church. Let us pray for you and talk with you. But it's not acceptable. But I think for, for most of us, that's the exception. Most of us need to work more on how do I value the people around me? How do I recognize what God has been doing in my family? You know, there's a great story. It's an old story of a man named Ali Hafid. He was a Persian. And he was always looking for more out of life. And he had herds, and he had cattle, and he had uh, servants, and he had these tents, and it was all wonderful, and he had a huge amount of land. And he finally went to a Buddhist monk, and he said, what do I need out of life? What am I, I still missing? And the monk said, you're missing diamonds. Diamonds, that's the ultimate, the ultimate sign of blessing. And so he began to seek them out, and he looked everywhere he could look, and he spent everything he had seeking a place where he could find diamonds, and eventually he found himself in Barcelona, found himself on the edge of the sea, and because he couldn't get diamonds, he threw himself into the sea. But back on the piece of land that he had sold, where he used to live, the man who bought that land was one day walking by a stream that ran through and he noticed a bright flash, and you can guess what he found in that stream. Diamonds. In fact, one of the biggest diamond mines that's been found in history, the Golconda Diamond Mine. It was in his own backyard the whole time. And for some of us, 
a family, a beautiful family that we think we're seeking somewhere else and that we think should look like this family or that family or the people we know or my sister's family or my brother's family or the family I had when I was a kid. The truth is, the beautiful family that you need is in your own backyard. If we'll just notice, if we'll just look, Put them first, and you might find it. Let's pray together. God, help us to see the blessing that our spouses, our children, our parents, maybe grandchildren, grandparents, cousins, that our family is. Help us to put them first. Help them to know that they matter to us through our words and our actions. God, we pray it in Jesus' name. We've talked about basing our family in Scripture. And of course, we want to base all of life in Scripture. And the greatest promise that we have from God's Word is that Jesus died on a cross for our sins. And that because of that, He can offer us eternal life. And if you're ready today to receive that great gift through faith and repentance and baptism, we invite you to let us know. Or maybe you want to be a member of our church and serve with us. If you've made either one of those decisions, let us know. Come forward as we stand and sing our invitation. Let's stand together.